when the reporters get here and ask who did it, be sure you spell my name right. It's Scorpion, the one who defeated Spider-Man. Got it? explores all things the amazing spider-man i'm your host the mighty monologuing motormouth they call me gerald if this is your first time with us welcome if it isn't welcome 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 back this week we're running through the amazing spider-man number 20 the first story in marvel masterworks volume 3 the coming of the scorpion if you haven't already please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com hspp in the Key Keeper or High Council tiers, where you gain access every week to a bonus episode of Me and My Friend Pete, covering a comic book pool from High Society's extensive vault, chosen by you, the listeners. And three seems to be the number this week, because we're covering Wonder Woman Volume 3, Number 3, Part 3 of the wonderfully amazing story, Who is Wonder Woman? DC's First Lady finally has the floor, and when I say there is a who's who of villainy and heroes in the Wonder Woman universe, there's only one way for you to see if I'm serious, or not. Sign up today. That's later. Right now, Jameson's finally crossed the line drawn in the sand in his beef with Spider-Man, and he's dragging people across it with him. We've got a doctor doing harm. We've got a stalker throwing blows. We've got JJ tossing dollars, adding rogues to Spidey's woes. We've got Spidey taking L's left and right to no avail. But when you're getting into Cooperstown, you don't pass more than you fail. And we've got me. We've got you. We've got... No further ado. We've got THE Amazing Spider-Man number 20. The Coming of the Scorpion, or Spidey Battle Scorpy, or The Man with the Vicious Right Hand, The Scorpion. That's not one of the titles. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. We've got another SNSNS production on this one with smiling Stan Lee writing on this one, swinging Steve Ditko on illustrations, and sparkling Sam Rosen on letters. The cover on this one is pretty simple, but dynamic nonetheless. We see the title, THE Amazing Spider-Man in Midnight Blue sitting on top of spider's webs, as usual. Spidey costume red is beneath the midnight blue of the name Spider-Man, and please! Say the hyphen. Partially blocking the letters I and D in his own name in the title is Spidey's left arm, and he's in another dangerous situation. He's being held by the back and right knee by the newest villain in his rogues gallery, the Scorpion. The Scorpion is in an emerald green full body suit with horizontal lines running every few inches from his calf muscles to his forearms. He's got on matching green gloves and boots. On his face is a green mask with an oval space around his eyes so we can see He's another villainous white guy. The mask covers his head and lips completely. His mouth is open and his teeth are razor sharp. He's staring above his head at Spidey in his clutches who's trying to get free by spraying a web line from his right hand. But Spidey's web line comes out wobbly because the scorpion's more than just a green suit, some super strength, and fangs. No scorpion is a real menace without that stinger tail, and this scorpion is no exception. As Spidey reaches out to fire his web line, his wrist is whacked from behind by the scorpion's gigantic tail housed on his back. All of this is happening on the edge of a ledge of a rooftop above the city with the Parker docks 
in the background. To the left of Spidey's peril, we get a caption box. How can Spidey battle a foe who is stronger than he is? You're about to meet one of Marvel's newest, greatest arch villains, the Scorpion. Let's get into it. Page one opens to the sign of the spider next to the title of this issue. The coming of the Scorpion. In red and green with an alternate title written in a red screen box in goldenrod font. Or Spidey Battle Scorpion. Beneath this, we get a caption box telling us the startling Scorpion may just be a candidate for the Spidey Villain Hall of Fame. And beneath that, we got action. The Scorpion is in the background, stage left, both fists clenched in front of him, stepping forward with his right foot. He's standing on a rooftop and his tail is lashing out to his left, destroying a brick chimney there, sending debris flying towards our hero, Spider-Man, who's in full-on A-O-B-E. He's got the fingertips of his right hand pressed against the floor of the roof, his legs bent wide in the air as a brick flies between them, and his left hand up in front of his face to block another chimney brick hurtling towards him. It's a gorgeous splash page, and if it's any indication, Scorpion's every bit as dangerous as the bullpen says he is. Beneath this, we get a goldenrod arrow caption box. Many readers have asked why Stan's name is always first on the credits, and so Big Hearted Lee agreed to put Stevie's name first this time. How about that? Pointing right to a goldenrod screen box, illustrated by Steve Ditko, written by Stan Lee, lettered by S. Rosen. Before a standard caption box. But we still have a feeling that Sneaky Stan put something over on us. Anyway, now it's time for thrills, chills, and spills. So Stan's thrown Steve Ditko's name first, but all of the font is black except Stanley's name, which is in bright red letters, now centered. Stan with a little caption box trickery. We turn the page. The story opens as it often does. To a caption box. Remember the mysterious figure who followed Peter Parker home from school last-ish? Here he is again, the next day, still lurking in the shadows, waiting for the unsuspecting teenager. In the shadows, pressed against the sheer wall, the man in the black fedora from last issue is watching Pete puffing a cigarette. And Pete, in his goldenrod kid outfit, is waving goodbye over his shoulder to the blonde bandit Liz Allen wearing a red blouse, and the Brandex kid, Flash Thompson in his standard liar's green turtleneck. Liz says bye, Petey, while Flash calls him a pest and tells him to go play in traffic. Pete walks off smiling. But this time, Peter's pursuer gets overconfident and follows just a bit too close. Pete, hand in pocket as usual, is tailed into the next panel by the man who's wearing a green suit today with a purple tie. His fedora is purple too. He's playing Pete close close, but he's made a mistake today. He's gotten too comfortable and is walking too close behind the goldenrod kid, whose spidey sense goes off. Half man, half amazing Pete Rock in the next panel, the goldenrod kid stares out of the corner of his eye at the tail, who looks away as if he's not following Pete, but he's doing a horrible job. In New York City, we call this hotboxing. Nobody's fooled. Pete knows he's being tracked. He reaches his house, heads upstairs to his room, and after removing his blazer tie and vest, peeks past his orange curtains into the backyard where he spots the hotbox hiding behind a tree, watching the house. Pete's in shock. His hand beneath his chin, he thinks, I never saw him before. Don't know who he is. Can it be that somebody has figured out my secret identity at last? Pulling his shirt open, revealing his Spidey costume beneath, he continues thinking what needs to be done now has to be done by Spider-Man. Suited and booted in the next panel, he waits for the hot box to turn around and walk away from the tree. Raises his bedroom window, and now the stalker becomes the stalked. Spidey follows the hot box for two blocks, thinking it's a breeze to tell someone when you've got the power of a thousand spiders. Before landing on the sheer wall above the hot box, 
who enters a phone booth in the last panel. Spidey wonders who the guy's calling, but he's too high up to hear. The man ends the call to open three and begins the two block walk back towards the Parker home. Spidey running along the wires of a power line above him the whole time. It's almost as though he's an agent for someone else and phone his boss for further instructions. Because of the traffic on the other side of his house, Spidey can't get into the house without being spotted from the ground. And with the man below him, Spidey can't get into his window from the side that he's on. So Spidey, polymath that he is, gets sculptory. He spins a web line with his left hand thinking he can divert the snooper's attention and crafts a bat from his webbing, sending it flying towards his stalker in the next panel. With the man distracted, Spidey, his hands at his side and legs out in front of him, leaps through his window, bounces off his end table in a perfect tuck and roll, and his cockiness getting the better of him, slams into his bedroom wall by the door, hoping Aunt May didn't hear the impact. But May's got super hearing, and in no time, she's on the stairs as Pete races to grab a bathrobe, ripping his mask from his face. He throws the robe on and manages to pull his glove from his right hand before May is at his door. His left hand behind his back to hide his spidey glove, his hair tousled, he pulls the door open, where May is standing, hand to nape. Are you alright, Peter dear? I thought I heard. Pete apologizes and tells her he accidentally knocked the chair over. A lion! May leaves and Pete hits the lights in his room, staring out of his window with a closed fist at the darkness, beginning to cover Forest Hills, Queens, thanking Tom and Jerry. Translation? He's out there! There's nothing I can do but let him continue this cat and mouse game until I can figure out what he's after. He thinks he has to make sure not to reveal anything that could tip his hand to him being Spider-Man, and I assume he gets some sleep. The next morning, Pete is dressed in his goldenrod outfit, and orange book in hand, heads to school. His Spidey sense still buzzing as his shadow, purple fedora, newspaper covering his face, stage right, watches Pete pass by. Pete thinks as long as he knows the guy shadowing him, he can't be snuck up on in a gorgeous panel. Pete's entering Midtown High looking over his shoulder as the blonde bandit in red enters in front of him. Those little details Ditko throws around, they really do make the difference. And in the newspaper office of J. Jonah Jameson, publisher and undisputed head of the I Hate Spidey Boosters, we see the busy man getting way past busy enough. As JJ, green tie, white button up, sleeves rolled up, brown pants, mahogany dress shoes, those are some stylish shoes, Stands in profile, facing stage left, reviewing the galleys for the upcoming Daily Bugle. Cigar chomped down on the left side of his mouth. What's this new item? Some nutty scientist claims to have found a way to cause artificial mutations in animals. Hmm, big deal. Why do my editors bother showing me proofs of every unimportant story that comes along? He turns his back to us and his left fist behind his back, hurls the draft of the paper up in the air like so much trash. Screaming about how he hates Spider-Man and how if someone made an anti-Spidey serum, then that would be a story. Getting into his monologue rhythm, he says, If only there were someone stronger than him that I could hire to. Hey, wait a minute, that's it. That's the answer. Before getting a flash of inspiration in a panel filled with red negative space, he turns, crouches down, and starts rummaging through the papers there, looking for the address of the scientist, who he calls an egghead, because JJ's always got time to disrespect anyone who doesn't dunder Mifflin. He says he's going to rid the world of the webhead once and for all. Finding the sheet of paper, JJ picks it up and stares at it with blue eyes beneath his bushy eyebrows. The doctor's name is Farley Stillwell. Stillwell by name, stills very well by reputation. Yeah, baby, yeah. JJ says he's found the perfect guy to help him with what he has planned next. And outside of 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown. Limestone building, you can't miss it. Pete pushes the door to the Daily Bugle open, still being tailed by the man in the purple fedora who thinks the kid must be going to see his girlfriend and this is his chance to take a break, rush off, and report to his boss. He knocks on the shadowy door of his boss's office to open page five 
thinking he hasn't been able to learn anything tailing the kid and bracing himself for his employer to fly off the handle. His boss tells him to come in. He pushes the door open and gets right to pleading his case, saying he's still trying, but he hasn't found anything yet. But his boss cuts him off, his face in perfectly placed shadow. He says Matt Gargan is just the man he wants to see and tells him to forget about Parker because he's lost interest. The next panel, we see who his boss is. Standing in profile, a cigar clenched in his lips, the boss says, I have a new job for you. Something much more important than following Parker to learn how he manages to get those great news photos which he sells me. Rail bumper bumper rail hole shattered. JJ has hired Matt Gargan to stalk Peter Parker. No shame in the miserable magnate, no shame at all. Smiling, he says the job he has for Gargan now may be dangerous. Gargan, returning the smile, replies like a man who's all about the paper chase. Who cares? You know me, boss. Just as long as the pay is good, so what's the pitch? While they're yucking it up inside the office, Pete, Betty Brant, and Ned Leeds are standing on the other side of the door. Pete's in his goldenrod kid outfit, red tie. Betty Brant's wearing a red blouse and skirt with frilly cotton around her neck, wrist, and waist. It's not my favorite top, but hey, Pete wears the same outfit every day, so who am I to judge the girl with the most flawless bob ever? And we've got the blonde junior reporter, Ned Leeds, in his checkered green blazer and goldenrod tie. Betty reintroduces the two to each other, and Pete asks how it's going. Ned, in the presence of his flame-to-be, does a little humble bragging. Fine, Pete. As a matter of fact, I'm heading for an important assignment. Mr. Jameson is sending me to Europe to cover the disarmament conferences. The 18-Nation Committee on Disarmament, or ENCD, was created by the United Nations General Assembly through Resolution 1722 of its 16th session and focused on disarmament, confidence-building measures, and nuclear test controls. The committee existed from 1962 through 1969, and its members consisted of Cold War powers from the Western Bloc, Canada, France, the UK, Italy, the United States, the Eastern Bloc, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Romania, and the Soviet Union, and later, Brazil, Burma, Ethiopia, India, Mexico, Nigeria, Sweden, and the United Arab Republic joined. The two greatest achievements of the ENCD were the Hotline Agreement, which created a direct link between the United States and Soviet Union in the wake of the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, and the Treaty on Nonproliferation of Nuclear Weapons, founded on three pillars. First, nonproliferation, or preventing the spread of nuclear weapons and technology. Next, to further the goal of achieving nuclear disarmament and general and complete disarmament. And finally, to promote cooperation and peaceful uses of nuclear energy. More countries are a part of this treaty than any other arms limitation treaty in the world, a sign of its importance and significance. I fell down a pretty deep rabbit hole reading up on this. Thanks, Wikipedia. And think it's the perfect example of what can be accomplished and the positive gains that can be made from real cooperation on a global scale. Almost back to this issue is marked January 1965. So if Ned Leeds is heading to Europe to cover the conferences, Jameson must have a lot of faith in the kid. Ned Leeds, demon reporter. Back to Pete's not a hater, but he wants his chilies. Translation, baby back. He says, that's great, but he thinks he's a real nice guy, but Betty was seeing too much of him. For once, things are going my way. As Betty tells him, Ned's flight leaves tonight. Suddenly, Jameson's door swings open and... Jameson, his suit blazer on, he's throwing a green hat onto his head. Matt Gargan is stepped behind him, and they are men on the move. Jameson tells Miss Brent he'll be gone a few hours, so she needs to take all his messages. As Pete, of course, recognizes the man in the purple fedora. The man he called Gardner. He's the one who's been tailing him. He must have been doing it for Jameson. But why? 
Ned and Betty are oblivious to Pete's worry. Ned asks Pete to come with Betty to JFK to see him off, telling the Golden Rock Kid that JFK Airport is less than an hour away. Pete's from Forest Hills, Queens. He knows where JFK Airport is. Calm it down, Nettie. Betty says it'll be wonderful. Then, she and Pete can ride back to the city together. Pete says he'd love to, thinks they can't be serious if they're inviting him along, and then thinks he'd rather have followed Jameson. This is a moment when Pete should be putting being Spidey over being Peter Parker. This guy Gargan has been following him for two days that he knows of, and the guy turns out to be working for Jameson, but not Pete. Flash Thompson, Pete Parker's mortal enemy, starts a Spider-Man fan club, and he shows up there, destroying his social life. He could play 1% jealous and get out of here right now, but then I guess the story would end on page five. Page six opens to Jameson and Gargan standing stage right in a long horizontal panel in the laboratory of Dr. Farley Stillwell. The man has brown hair, a pencil thin mustache, and is wearing a lab coat, rubber gloves, and SJB slacks. He's standing in the center of his lab, holding a round bottom flask in each hand. In the foreground stage left, we have a feat of science never seen. On a wooden iguana log, a blue fish is sitting comfortably out in the open air. To the fish's left, stage right, a rat is in a water-filled tank beneath the water. Jameson, his cigar gripped in his left hand, says, You mean you actually mutated a rat so it can swim like a fish and enable the fish to breathe air like a rat? And Stillwell gets sciency. Well, mutated is not the exact scientific word, Mr. Jameson, but I believe you summed it up accurately enough. My work, if properly developed, might be of great value to farmers, botanists, and the like. I'm delighted that you've shown such interest. An influential man like you, publicizing my findings, could further the cause of science immeasurably. This is Nobel Prize level work. But Jameson's not interested in science at all. He tells Stillwell, ahem, <clears throat> Dr. Stillwell, that he'll pay the man 10K right now to work on a special project. This is 1965 and you know I looked it up. According to the US inflation calculator, that's $88,508.57 in today's money. Stillwell says he's a research scientist, so he doesn't accept private jobs for pay, but 10,000 can buy a lot of round bottom flask. He puts a rubber gloved hand to his chin saying he can't refuse and asks what the project is. Jameson, clapping his hand on the man's shoulder, says he wants Stillwell to try his experiment on a human being and give that human powers greater than Spider-Man's. Stillwell says it might be dangerous, that he can't guarantee the results, and Gargan, his arms folded, says he'll take his chances. Moments later, after Dr. Stillwell has shaved Gargan's head, Stillwell, a smoking pink elixir in the round bottom flask in his hand, pours a glass for Gargan, who's standing topless and bald. Stillwell hands the glass to Gargan, saying, I can give you the power of a scorpion, for instance. Your body would become more powerful than Spider-Man's, but I don't know how it would affect your brain. And Gargan, Mr. Scared Money Don't Make No Money himself replies, Who cares? I'm getting $10,000 also for my part in this, and I'd do anything for that kind of dough. Before downing the concoction in a single gulp. Before you're a scorpion, you've gotta be a guinea pig. In the final panel, after several tests have been done, Gargan, in only his green underwear, holds the handles of a dynamo as electricity surges through his already transforming body. Stillwell says his strength has already increased, and his coordination is already superhuman. Jameson is ecstatic. Good, good. Just so long as I'm sure he can beat that blasted Spider-Man, that's all I want. But Stillwell's not done. On seven, he's at his laboratory desk, and we see he's not just a biologist or a chemist. 
He's an engineer as well. He's crafted a human-sized green scorpion tail for Gargan to wear on his back as Jameson watches mystified. Stillwell, if this works, I'll make you rich, famous. I'll become your patron. All I gotta do for more patrons is turn a human into a super being? GC, to the laboratory. We don't have a laboratory. GC, build a laboratory. You done? Back to. Jameson says the world has to be rid of Spider-Man and they've finally been given the means to do it. As Gargan, feeling super powered, thinks he's all muscle now and he can lick anybody. Dr. Stillwell shuts the machine down as Gargan flexes, testing out his new body. Jameson, for a man who hates superpowered people, has a lot of ideas about how to create one. He says, Good. Now let's put him in a costume. I have the perfect design in mind. I want Spider-Man defeated by someone just like him. It will be poetic justice. Poetic justice. If I told you that a flower bloomed in a dark room, would you trust it? And so, we get Gargan suited and booted in profile facing stage left, staring back at his tail in his new full body green costume. Stillwell, like any good scientist, tries to explain how Gargan's tail works. He says that it's controlled by nerve impulses through mental commands. And JJ's like, I don't really care, bro. As long as he can smash Spider-Man, no explanations are needed. I'm not here for the science. And Gargan is ready to test his new greatness out telling the men to give him something to test his strength on. They bring a granite block from who knows where, and Scorpion, grabbing it with both hands, begins ripping chunks out of it like a first grader with Play-Doh. In his excitement, his tail whips out behind him, smashing into a metal storage bin, knocking a chunk out of it easily. Stillwell, falling backwards with his arms up, screams you haven't learned to control it yet, while Jameson, booking its stage left, screams that the tail is like a sledgehammer and Spidey won't stand a chance. Stillwell tells Gargan he'll have to practice because as the great offset says, practice, practice, practice makes perfect. And Gargan, wagging his tail, says, why should I waste the time? I feel like I could lick an army right now. Matt Gargan, gonna freestyle his way through this superpowers business. Jameson, hat in hand, ain't having it. He says, do as Dr. Stillwell says, Gargan. Remember, I'm still the one paying you. Report to me for instructions when he says, you're ready. We turn the page and we're on... The Infinity, Infinity Page. Page 8. Just in time to witness Ned Leeds' plane take off stage left towards Europe as Pete and Betty look on. Pete asks how long the young reporter's gonna be gone, and Betty says at least six months. Pete says it's too bad, but he thinks... Free! Competition leaving on that midnight plane to Georgia. Peter makes his move immediately. You know, Betty, I have no right to expect you not to date other boys. But yet, sometimes, I kind of wish. Betty, head down, thoughts probably in the supper hall, says she's not in the mood to talk about anything serious. Translation, I ain't forget about you and the blonde bandit, Petey. They get back to the Daily Bugle. Betty thanks Pete for driving back with her, and Pete says he enjoyed it. Calls her honey and makes tracks. Thinking Leeds is a great guy, but he hopes the kid stays in Europe forever. He races around the corner towards his favorite alley, giving the game away. But now, to work. My spider sense indicates I'm not being followed anymore, but I still want to see Jameson and try to learn what it was all about. Spidey, suited, booted, and scaling a sheer wall of the bugle in seconds towards JJ's office, spots the light on in the miserable magnate's window. Spidey raises JJ's window in the next panel. JJ shouts his name and Spidey replies, Well, what do you know? It moves. It talks. It's really alive. JJ, smiling politely, tells Spidey not to dangle on the ledge because he might fall and hurt himself. Spidey, his buggy eyes narrowed, isn't trusting this. He asks JJ what the gag is, 
and wonders if he's in the right place. JJ says he just wants to talk, but thinks, and keep you here until the Scorpion shows up, you arrogant fool. He's on his way now. He is plotting on the Spider-Man, but what he's selling, Spidey wants no parts. Still crossed on the windowsill, he says, sorry Jonah, I'm not buying today. Before spraying a web line and leaping from the window in the last panel, screaming, I know better than to trust you. If you want me to stay, it probably means you got some sort of trap lane for me. See you around, Chuckles. Jameson screams for Spider-Man to wait, then for the webhead to come back, wondering privately where the heck the scorpion is. Then, as if in answer to Jameson's unspoken question, Gargan leaps onto Spidey's back to open page 9, suited and booted and screaming. Hold it, Spider-Man, you're not going anywhere. Looks like I arrived just in time. As Spidey slightly bothered screams, now what? Two land on the edge of a rooftop and Spidey, getting a look at Gargan, screams, It's some nun in a scorpion costume. Look, fella, I'm no time to play games now, so, uh, Gargan, crouch low, snaps our hero's head back with his tail, calling Spidey little man and asking if he still thinks this is only a game. Jameson's leaning out of his window, both fists raised, the tip of his cigar ablaze, a smile stretched across his face. Jameson is screaming, The scorpion got here in time, and I've got a ringside seat. This is great. Go get him, Scorp! Smash him! boy. The Scorpion is in the building. But this is Spidey's building. He plants his left foot and throws a wicked left hand, clubbing the Scorpion across the jaw, thinking this is why Jameson was trying to get him to stay. The miserable magnate wanted Spidey to meet Scorpion and his hands team. But Spidey's not worried. He thinks he'll polish this guy off with one punch because he can't risk being hit with that tail again. But Scorpion eats the Sunday punch, that little lunch, and throws a right straight of his own that he leans into, knocking Spidey onto the heels of his feet. Spidey thinks it was like hitting a brick wall, that the scorpion is at least as strong as he is. As Scorpion gloats saying a spider can't beat a scorpion. Every insect-based superpowered human is a master of the animal they become. It's ridiculous. They're like Pokemon at this point. The scorpion is super effective against the spider. Get out of here. Back to Spidey throws a right haymaker that the scorpion dodges easily and seizing the opening, he strikes with his tail again, ramming it into Spidey's gut before wrapping his tail around Spidey's shoulder to set him up for an uppercut to the right side of our hero's head. And Scorpion is talking his smack. He says, Try to slug it out with me, will you? Sooner or later, it'll have to sink into that wet headed brain of yours that I'm stronger than you ever be. Spidey hunts over thinks, He's right! He's a powerhouse! In the final panel, Scorpion is getting surgical. He sweeps the leg like Johnny the Cobra Kai with his tail and throws a haymaker like Rocky Balboa with his right hand. He is a one-man high-low unto himself, telling Spider-Man, Don't worry, it'll be over in a minute. Spidey thinks he has no excuse for losing because he's at full power and he still can't stop the Scorpion. But Spidey's not licked yet. He falls backwards, but you know if Spidey's falling backwards, Spidey's going handstand. And his huh. right hand pressed against the roof of the building, he goes to play two of the Golden Liability playbook. If fists don't work, there's always the shooters. He sprays webbing at the scorpion from his left shooter, screaming. Not so fast, windbag. No matter what advantage you may have, my webbing ought to trim you down to signs. And the scorpion is frozen with shock, thinking the webbing was the one thing he didn't prepare for. Spidey, back on both feet in the next panel, is taking no chances. He unloads both web shooters on Scorpy, as he calls him, screaming that the villain's got a lot of explaining to do. Spidey Ricardo on the rooftop right now. Jameson, still watching from his office window, pulls his cigar from his mouth, worry lines etched across his forehead. 
his right hand covering the right side of his face, and you know that man's miserable and he's counting up his money. He thinks, oh no, after all my work, finding someone stronger than Spider-Man, spending $20,000, I just can't have another plan go down the drain again. JJ's not trying to lose that seed money, but JJ's worry is for naught. Scorpion tells Spidey he just remembered that scorpions have powerful pincers, pincers he's inherited that are now on the tips of his fingers, and he cuts himself out of Spider-Man's webbing, no problem. JJ the Triumphant returns in the next panel, all smiles as he thinks, Eureka! I haven't failed. The Scorpion made mincemeat of Spider-Man's greatest weapon. Nothing can stop us now. Spider-Man is through. And Scorpion is in his bag now. He tells Spidey since the guy's so impressed with his own webbing, he can have it back. And racing towards our hero, he hurls the strands at Spidey, who thinks he's flipping it at me with his tail. It's all tangled and knotted. If it twists itself around me, I'm finished. And you know, cosmic and comedic timing makes sure it twists itself around him. And Spidey, his hand stretched wide, fighting to remove his own weapon, wrapping him up, is wide open as the scorpion rushes him, screaming, There! Just stay that way for a minute! I want to remember you as you were! Nearly knocking Spidey's head off with another right hand that bends Spidey all the way backwards. His head is almost touching his toes! I just want to say, I was there when Spidey fought Dr. Octopus the first time. Up until this point, that was the hardest L he took in my opinion. There was a backhand if you remember, Octopus threw him out of a window, but this right here, it's madness. Spidey is getting walloped. Meanwhile, still working in his lab, Dr. Farley Stillwell has some very serious misgivings. Stillwell, his rubber gloves still on, he never takes them off like Dexter's mom, is punching buttons, crunching numbers, and monologuing something fierce. He says according to new tests he's running, Scorpion's power is greater than he thought, but the stronger Matt Gargan becomes, the more evil he'll become, power corrupting as usual. And Stillwell's having a change of heart. Staring at the pink liquid boiling in a round bottom flask, he says, I must have been mad to do what I did. Money isn't that important. I may have unleashed one of the worst dangers of all time upon mankind. Then grabs the flask and breaks towards the exit of his laboratory, screaming that he may have time to make amends. The pink liquid in the flask is an antidote and Gargan will lose the powers if he takes the antidote before it's too late. Meanwhile, back on the scene, Spidey, still tangled in his own webbing, is knocked unconscious by another wicked right hand from the Scorpion. Scorpion's got the most devastating right hand in the game. And if we know anything about Matt Gargan by now, he's got it in for Spidey almost on the same level as the magnate of Miserable. How does it feel to be on receiving end for once, little man? What's the matter? Cat got your tongue? He lifts Spider-Man above his head on the edge of the ledge of the roof so now we're in that cover action shot. The only difference, Spidey is tangled up in his own webbing. And Scorpion, thinking this is the easiest 10 grand he's ever made, crosses Spidey through a nearby water tower, calling him useless as he does. Thus, Spider-Man suffers one of his greatest defeats. As he lies motionless atop the roof, his mighty muscles stilled, his potent spider power temporarily dormant, only the beating of his valiant heart testifying to the life which remains to the awesome energy which is slowly returning. That is a tough L to take. Scorpion walks over to the edge of the building and raises a triumphant arm to the heavens, screaming that he beat Spider-Man and that the web slinger never had a chance. And if Spidey can't stop him, nobody can. The city is his for the taking. Jameson, overjoyed at Scorpion's success, tells the one-punch bruiser to go get Spider-Man and bring him to the office so the webhead can be unmasked. But Scorpion's got his own ideas. 
scaling down the sheer wall of the building across from JJ. He says he's done taking orders from Jameson and that nobody tells the Scorpion what to do. He has already descended into third person talking. Jameson, leaning over the side of his window ledge, realizes quickly that you may be able to create power, but that doesn't mean you'll have the power to wield it. He thinks, oh no, I never expected that. If the scorpion turns against me, then I've gone from the frying pan into the fire. Then screams, wait, come back. Someone might see you. Stop. Remember Kant treating people as a means unto themselves? Here's a perfect example. Jameson gave Gargan powers for his own selfish ends and his plan has fallen apart immediately. Why? Matt Gargan only agreed to help Jameson for himself, that 10K he was working for. And now, he doesn't need the miserable magnate so he doesn't have to listen to the miserable magnate. You really like Kant, huh? Not particularly, just the idea of freedom. Ah, so. Yeah, back to. Scorpion lands on the roof of an armored truck calling Jameson a fool and using his pincer-like fingertips begins peeling back the top of the armored car like a sardine can, saying that with his strength, he doesn't need a boss to pay him. With his incredibly powerful pincer-like fingers, the scorpion peels the upper steel plate from the roof of the car as though it's made of cardboard. But then, the armored truck is empty. Scorpion sees why immediately as the two armored car agents exit a jewelry store with a large leather triangle pouch. He screams at the men that he's been waiting for them, and they look up in shock. One screams, holy cow, what's that? And Scorpion, leaping from the roof of the truck, answers with violence. He clubs one guard unconscious with a left cross and slants his tail square in the face of the other, dropping him too. I imagine this dude's face, his nose is shattered and he's lost his four top row front teeth. He has to. Scorpion clubbed him so hard in the face, we don't even see his face as his tail connects. That is a vicious swing of that tail before grabbing the leather bag to open page 13. Two men in blue suits run out of the jewelry store scoping out the scene and they are screaming. Help, our gems, he's stealing them. Stop him, somebody, he's getting away. Help, stop, thief. And Scorpion swatting both away easily with a tail whip tells them to make sure the reporters spell his name right. His name, Scorpion, the one who defeated Spider-Man. Got it? We got it, sheesh. The story shifts back to JJ and we know he's nervous now because he's puffing a cigarette. Pacing in his office, blazer off, his sleeves rolled up. Miss Brant walks in, clutching a folder filled with sales figures, telling him she couldn't read Stillwell and tries to get the busy man back to being way past busy enough, asking if he wants to check the figures in her hand. But JJ's not having it. No, don't bother me with junk like that. Keep trying Stillwell. I've got to speak to him. Meanwhile, all but forgotten upon the rooftop, a bitter mass teenager recovers consciousness with burning rage in his heart. And with his heart ablaze, Spidey throws the wood of the water tower off of him, saying, It was bound to happen someday. I knew I couldn't win them all, but the scorpion made one mistake. He ran off thinking he'll never have to worry about me again. There's a public enemy song called He Got Game off the soundtrack of the Spike Lee movie of the same name, and there's a line in there I think is so simple and profound that I keep with me. Never let a win go to your head or a loss go to your heart. Translation? For me, be in the moment. And I think Spidey lives that life. He's taken a loss in almost every Spidey comic, but you let him tell it? This is the first time. You've gotta have a short memory in certain businesses. Great writers can't dwell on rejection letters. Great shooters can't dwell on missed shots. And great superheroes can't dwell on L's. So Spidey doesn't. Back to. And the camera pulls in tight and we see, for the first time, Spidey's costume has taken a beating along with him. 
There's a gash on his mask beneath his right eye, and his costume is torn near the spider symbol on his chest on the right side. Battle Rabbit Spidey! He says Scorpion ran off thinking he doesn't have to worry about Spidey anymore, but he's gonna learn how wrong he is. I'll never rest till I catch him, till I find a way to beat him. And he leaps from the water tower to climb the sheer wall of a building stage huh. left. He says he'll search for Scorpion from the rooftops and find him wherever he may be. But driven by a fearful, desperate compulsion, Farley Stillwell finds the scorpion first. Dr. Stillwell approaches the scorpion from behind, the antidote to the menace that the scorpion has become still in the flask in his right hand. He reaches out to scorpion and calling out his government name, thanks the heavens and thinks there may still be time to save him. Scorpion asks what the man means, looking over his shoulder, but not stopping. Stillwell says, for you to take this serum. Unless you drink it quickly, you'll never be able to change back again, and you'll lose all sense of right and wrong. And the smile Scorpion gives is wide and frightening as he says, Well, well. He begins climbing a nearby building, and this building has an art deco facade, large stone, then brick inserted, then large stone, making it pretty easy to scale. Scorpion says, I got news for you, Stillwell. You're too late. I never want to change back again. But I do know the difference between right and wrong. Whatever the Scorpion does is right. But he's not right, because might makes right is never the right answer. Stillwell screams no. He says he can't live with himself, knowing that he's responsible for creating the scorpion, and reaches out with his rubber-gloved hand, but the scorpion slaps it away with his tail. Scorpion's halfway up the sheer wall of the building to open page 14, but he's not alone. Stillwell, antidote still in hand, has regained the courage of his conviction, and is following scorpion up the wall, screaming the man has to listen to him. Scorpion calls him a fool, tells him to get back to the ground, says the man can't follow him. And then, by the time Stillwell reaches the third floor, the Scorpion's words prove to be prophetic. And Stillwell's redemption song turns into a swan song as he thinks, I, I'm falling, but maybe I can hit him with the serum before I do. I have to. And in a final act of desperation, he hurls the flask above him towards the Scorpion as he plummets to his doom. Does Stillwell get the hit? No! The flask shatters to the right of the scorpion, who stops a moment watching the end of the noble scientist, thinking he warned the man, but it's no skin off his nose. Spidey's back on the scene, swinging above the crowd gathering around Stillwell's body. He says he's too late to save that man, but he can grab the scorpion nevertheless. In a mighty leap from his web line, huh. Spidey lands on the back of the scorpion on the rooftop, and turnabout is fair play. He clubs the scorpion on the back of the head with an overhand left, screaming. Drop that jewel sack, mister. This is it. Translation, it's time for the showdown. And Scorpion, caught off guard by the sneak attack, drops the sack, screams Spider-Man, and we've got action. Scorpion lands on his hands and knees and swings his tail immediately on the edge of the ledge. But Spidey, A-O-B-E, dodges the deadly prehensile tail on a funky sideways leap that sees his left hand out straight in front of him, his right bent back behind him, and his legs in the shape of a lowercase cursive U. It's a beautiful panel. Panel of the week? We'll see. This thing's a masterpiece. You think they're all masterpieces? Because they are. Too true. Back to. Spidey asks if Scorpion really thought a lucky knockout would stop him for long. And Scorpion, a W against the wall crawler already in his belt, says he didn't lose any sleep worrying about it. And he didn't think Spidey was dumb enough to come back around either. Spidey grabs Scorpion's tail in the final panel and is lifted from the floor, dodging a left thrown by the villain who calls Spidey a glutton for punishment and tells him he's happy to keep feeding our hero knuckle sandwiches. Spidey, swinging above the punch, says things won't be so easy this time because he's ready. Scorpion says, yeah, yeah, I'm even stronger now than 10 minutes ago. You finna find out. 
15 opens to the SNSNS connection in perfect sync for three panels as Scorpion throws a left jab. He screams, This is what fight you won't walk away from, punk. The caption box is perfectly written above these images read, And even as the battle progresses, the Scorpion seems to grow more powerful, more dangerous, with each passing second. For he has already passed the point of no return. Even the antidote serum would not help him now. He is truly the Scorpion. His body has attained the maximum degree of superpower. His brain has been subtly altered until its standards are those of the predatory beast. He has become the embodiment of all that is evil. In JJ's office, his world is turning upside down. He is literally holding the phone, his right hand pressed on his desktop as bad news rains down on him in bunches. What? Stillwell is dead and the Scorpion has robbed Carter's jewelry store. A police dragnet is combing the city? People are locking themselves indoors. Jameson is in shock. His jaw is falling to the floor. He screams that no one knows it, but this is all his fault. Oh, but we know, JJ. We're privy to all your most private moments, and I can't speak for my people, but I'm not surprised. JJ lowers his head, grabs two fistfuls of paper on his desk, probably the cell figures he hasn't gotten to yet, and screams that his personal hatred of our favorite wall crawler has unleashed a far worse menace that he can't control. And even as Jameson remains locked in his office, a prisoner of his own conscience, his own guilt, the epic battle continues. And round two isn't going well for the webhead. We jump back to the scene just in time to see him slammed to the rooftop by the scorpion who is talking his smack. He says Spider-Man has more experience, more skill, but power's all that matters. And power's what I've got. We're on the page one splash page in the final panel of this page as a scorpion obliterates a chimney with his tail, sending the gray sooty brick flying out the webhead, who gets low and gets dodgy. And we know Spidey's in the weed because he's not talking his smack at all. When Spidey's not talking, he's thinking, and he's thinking the scorpion's right, that he was a fool for trying to fight the scorpion on the villain's terms, and that he needs to change strategies, while scorpion calls him little man and tells him he's gonna put him away for good. And what's the rule on me and my friend Pete? If you talk smack, you gotta back it up. And Scorpion does just that to open page 16, where Spidey is taking a giant chunk of the top of the chimney to the face and forearm. Scorpion has not left his bag for three pages, and he races towards Spidey, giving him a two-piece, no biscuit. That's a left cross to the chest and a tail whip to Spidey's left rib cage. Psyduck, this is how you throw tail whips. What's with you and Pokemon today? But Spidey's physique is like that unto iron. Shout out to the Iron Fist. He holds it limp at his side, screaming that he should have remembered how strong the spider was because he feels like he hit a bulldozer. The amazing Spider-Man Arachnodozer. But it doesn't change the fact that while Scorpion is lamenting the pain in his hand, Spidey's in the foreground, his left hand over his face. His left leg bent, his right out in front of him. I assume if we pull Spidey's mask off right now, he'll have two X's where his eyes should be. Unconscious again. Scorpion has twice beaten our hero unconscious. He says he'll finish Spidey off when his hand stops hurting and grabbing his bag filled with jewels, hooks it around his tail, saying there's one more thing he still needs to do. He scales down the sheer wall of the building, giving the game away. Jameson is the only one living who knows my true identity. With him out of the way, my secret will be safe forever. It shouldn't take more than a few minutes. He's gonna take three minutes to put JJ on ice. Spidey, regaining consciousness on all fours, is showing his grit. I, I'm still alive. That means I can fight some more. I've got to. He'll have to kill me to stop me. I can do this. 
I can do this. And if I can't, that won't stop me from trying. Great power. You already know the rest. He crawls to the edge of the building, his head down, his costume now ripped on his right shoulder as well. His costume is taking a beating and tries to catch his breath. I can feel my strength returning, but next time it'll be different. I won't give him a chance to. What's that? But someone screams for help and Spidey, recognizing the voice, knows that rest time is over. He raises his head, his mask torn above and below his right eye now. He says the voice sounded like Betty, his girl Friday, and if you were here for ASM number 11, Turning Point, or What If Bennett Was Definitely In It, here on Me and My Friend Pete, you know when Betty gets involved, Spidey gets serious. But Betty wasn't screaming in panic mode, she just needed help to open 17. Her eyes wide, her bob flawless, the camera pulled in tight around her face and neck, the damsel, never in distress in the fire red dress screams, Mr. Jameson, look, coming in through the window, do something, hurry, it, it's the scorpion! as the scorpion crashes through the office window in the next panel. And one thing I'll give to Jameson, he always makes sure to get Betty out of harm's way. But as he's often putting her in harm's way, that's not saying much. Either way, he pushes her out of the office as the mad scorpion comes through the window, telling Betty to call the police and that he'll handle the scorpion. And she needs to evacuate the building. Scorpion calls Jameson heroic, but says his days are done and it won't save him. Remember what I said 30 seconds ago? And one thing I'll give to Jameson, he always makes sure to get Betty out of harm's way. Throw it in the garbage. Jameson, his back pressed on the bureau next to his door, stage left, thinks, Heroic? Bob, I just don't want anyone to hear him. He's going to say something that'll connect me to him. Trying to protect his image at all times. Despicable. He asks the Scorpion why he's come as the villain bears down on him menacingly. And Scorpion asks, Can't you guess? Jameson screams, Stop! Don't come any closer. You're mad. I... I'll pay any price, but don't hurt me. Stop! His bravery and miserable title go out the window. But luckily for him, Spidey passes both on his way through the window and onto the scene, landing on JJ's hardwood desk, telling Scorpion not to be greedy and he should learn to finish off one enemy before moving on to another. Spidey's a glutton for punishment and Scorpy's just a glutton. And you already know the insurance premiums for 39th Street, 2nd Avenue are about to go through the roof. Scorpion rifles his tail towards Spidey, destroying Jameson's mahogany desk, calling Spidey a fool who should have escaped when he had the chance. And Spidey, leaping straight up to avoid the battering ram that is the Scorpion's tail, shoots back that he was about to give the Scorpion the same advice. Still airborne, he soars over the Scorpion's head, screaming, Now let's see what your Scorpion strength can do against mine, Spider Agility. And you know there's not a man alive with agility greater than the King of Swing from Forest Hills, Queens. But the scorpion is going to be up to the challenge. Reaching up to grab Spidey as he passes overhead, Scorpion says he'll show better than he can tell as soon as he gets his hands on the webhead. Spidey, his right arm pressed against the wall, his left legs out in front of him, upside down, A-O-B-E, sprays sheer webbing into Scorpion's eyes, telling the man with the vicious right hand that he won't nail him again. Scorpion asks if Spidey thinks his webbing can stop him, but Spidey's not trying to stop him. As Scorpion struggles to get the webbing from his eyes, Spidey says, maybe not but it'll sure slow you down plenty, especially since this is my extra sticky liquid webbing. Webbing the scorpion's feet from the ankles down to the floor. The Spidey high-low, webbing from crown to toe. And Spidey ain't done. He leaps from the sheer wall, landing behind the scorpion, and grabbing the scorpion by the tail, says he's gonna even the score a little bit more before ripping the mechanical tail from the back of the scorpion, screaming. Let's see if you're still feeling like such a big man without that artificial tail of yours. But Scorpion's not gonna take this lying down. He can't. He's got to take it standing up. 
he grabs Spidey by the wrist, screaming it's his turn, and calls Spidey an overrated clown. There's a reason Spidey wasn't talking in that second fight though. He was learning. But instead of trying to pull away, as the scorpion expects, Spidey charges towards him, catching him off balance. Spidey seizes the opening and cracks Scorpion in the right ribcage, screaming it's your turn alright, your turn to lose. And now the scorpion is swinging wildly, but Spidey's locked in and he's gone back to the original play in the Golden Liability playbook. Fist, swing him if you got him. His spidey sense ablaze, he dodges an erratic left cross, bragging about the greatest sixth sense since the guy with the radar from Hell's Kitchen. His mask ripped around his right eye, his costume torn on his chest and shoulder. He throws a wicked right uppercut, calling the scorpion flat-footed. He made the guy flat-footed. He's webbed the guy's feet to the floor before swinging his right arm back down immediately, screaming. Maybe you are a little stronger, but what good does it do you if I'm the only one who can land the blow? Page 19 opens with the battle closing as Spidey, king of the two-handed swing, does a double uppercut, clubbing the man with the vicious right hand beneath his chin, sending the scorpion's jaw north. The worst position you can be in in a fight. The best part? This is unfolding in the background. In the foreground, Jameson is screaming. That's it, Spidey. Hit him again and again. Be sure he's beaten. Don't take any chances. Good. Good. Before catching himself and wondering privately if he's gone mad for cheering on the person he hates most in the world. Spidey, battle ravaged but back on top, places his left foot on the windowsill. And looking back at Jameson, Tells the prune-faced publisher to make sure the police get there before the scorpion wakes up. Jameson, shock on his face, taking a step towards Spidey, says, You beat him. You defeated someone who's stronger than you. And the polymath beneath the mask replies, It happens all the time. Ever hear of David and Goliath? Translation? It's not the size of the spider in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the spider. Jameson, his shoulders slightly hunched, standing in the debris that was once his office, stares through the broken glass of his office window, thinking, My secret is safe, for now. But what's a pre-myrony? I was saved from a menace whom I myself helped to create. Saved by the one he was created to destroy. Pete gets back to his favorite alley and pulling the mask from his face, stares at his reflection in a conveniently placed mirror, and he is lumped up. Both spots where his mask was ripped are lumpy and black and blue. Running a hand through his hair, he says, Gosh, I'm all cut and bruised. What do I say to all me? And the kids at school. I better think of something fast. He removes his costume top and comes up with a plan. Crumpling his street clothes, he says, I guess best thing is to crumple up my clothes as though I've been in some sort of accident. I'll say I got bowled over playing touch football. At least no one will be able to disprove it. And getting dressed, his hands in his pockets, he makes his way towards home. And of course he runs into Flash Thompson and his blame gang. Flash, forgetting that he had a much bigger shiner in The Amazing Spider-Man number 18, The End of Spider-Man, that's the triumphant trumpets here on me and my friend Pete, takes a shot at Pete right away. Well, well, if it isn't Puny Parker with his itty bitty face all scratched up. Don't tell me a jellyfish like you actually got into a fight. He doesn't let up, throwing his head back and laughing with the Foolsville faithful. He calls Pete useless and asks if our hero was beaten up by a baby he tried to steal a lollipop from. And Pete snaps, his fist clenched, he screams. Okay, Thompson, I've taken all I can from you. Now I'm gonna make you eat those words. And there are no gloves here. Pete wants to bare knuckle brawl with the Brand X kid. But Flash remembers how Pete knocked him out twice. And he never had a comeback win like my man Pete. So he's got excuses for not taking Pete up on the offer. Saying Pete won't trick him into fighting him now. That if he wins, Pete will have an excuse for losing. A bully never wants the beef when you show you'll stand up to him every time. 
Flash is no exception. Pete, his fist shaking with rage, he watches Flash leaving, thinking, He'll never know how lucky he is. I almost lost control of my temper. I'd have pulverized him. You're not wrong, Pete. You're not wrong. Twenty opens to him entering his house. Queen May in all brown, earthy May today, her back to the door. She turns, sees Pete enter, sees his shiner, and after asking what happened to him, goes mommy mode immediately. She pushes him into a chair, throws her glasses on, gets the iodine, the Q-tips, the gauze, the tape, and gets busy. You just sit right down and let me put some soothing medication on those cuts, dear. Pete thinks if May were younger, he'd tell her the truth of what he's getting into and reveal his secret identity, but he can't take that chance. Pete's being a bit of an ageist. Oftentimes, we try to protect people from information we think will hurt them, and in doing so, take away their agency. May knows about the donuts and dimes. She's not new to this life business, and if she knew, she would probably be a great support to him. Pete hides who he is from Betty, taking away her agency, and that's why he's no longer with her. You gotta give people the truth and let them make their choices. That's that freedom bit you were talking about earlier. A lot of it, yes. Back to. Betty and Pete are on the phone together talking later in the evening, and Betty's giving Pete the rundown on what happened before Spider-Man showed up. Did you hear what happened, Peter? Mr. Jameson saved me from the Scorpion by pushing me out of the room in time. The camera shifts to Pete's room, and he's thinking, Jameson, hero, that'll be the day. He says, glad to hear it, Benny. What do you want to do? Chip in for a medal? And Betty's like, oh, Peter. And perhaps the boy who is really Spider-Man has good reason to feel less than cordial towards the publisher of the Daily Bugle. A Daily Bugle is held open in front of us, stage right with the headline, Scorpion caught. Jameson is a hero. And JJ the Triumphant is cheesing on the cover. In the background, a sandy man in a green jacket, blue fedora, and red smoking pipe in his mouth, asks the guy with him if he's read the exclusive about the Scorpion and says that the villain would still be free if it weren't for Jameson's bravery. His friend, blonde man, brown leather jacket, green fedora, says according to the story, Spider-Man came when the beef was almost over, but Jameson's the real fireball. And the next day. Jameson, in a purple crosshat suit and red tie, has learned nothing from his exploits of the last week. I know now that anyone with too much power is liable to turn into a menace sooner or later, and Spider-Man is no exception. It's still my duty to fight him, to expose, and someday to destroy him. And I will, if it takes the rest of my life, I will. For someone who's so self-centered, it's almost bizarre that he doesn't see how he has too much power and has become a menace, and he's created a supervillain for upstairs sakes, and has the blood of Dr. Stillwell partially on his hands. He's the most dangerous man in New York right now. Wealth, privilege, and no moral steadfastness. He was cheering Spidey when our hero took it to Scorpion and has gone back to his thoughts of terrorizing Spidey now that he's escaped justice. Despicable. In the final panel on this page, we get a massive caption box telling us this tale is coming to an end as Pete sits on his bed, needle and thread in his right hand, his costume in his left, as he repairs the rips and tears it suffered. A true, humble hero. What can't he do? The whole time he's sewing, he's thinking that he wasn't able to find out who the guy Jameson had tailing him was or what the man's connection to the miserable magnate could be. But he'll worry about it some other time because right now, his biggest problem is sewing his costume without stabbing his finger to death. A caption box closes the issue. Well, we sure hope you enjoyed the Scorpion as much as we did. As usual, we'll be eagerly waiting for your letters of comment. So till next-ish, Stay happy, keep healthy, and watch out. Don't let your web get tangled. The end. In page 21, we got Pete seated at his laboratory bedroom in his goldenrod vest, white shirt, the top button open, his SJB pants and brown loafers. He's holding a red book in his hand and he's all smiles. On the right side of the page, we've got Spidey standing and flip flipping, both hands shooting web lines towards us. It's a Marvel Masterwork pinup. Peter Parker, 
an old webhead. And we're out. Silver Age Scorpion is a bad man. He and Spidey definitely made the top three floors of 39th Street 2nd Avenue uninsurable after this one. If I were a kid in the 60s, I would have him in Spidey's top three villains. He came out swinging and gave Spidey two L's in a single issue. But no worries, Spidey knows batting one for three for your career gets you into Cooperstown. And being the grittiest superhero this side of, well, all of them, he didn't say quit and got the W in the end. JJ's taking a dangerous turn into his power and privilege now, out to cause physical harm and injury to the Spider-Man, and this is a lot different than working with Kraven the Hunter or Mysterio, who already had it in their minds to come after the webhead. JJ's plotting violence, and whenever you plot violence, by extension, you court it. But if that's how the miserable magnate wants to play, so be it. He's chosen a hero who can give as good as he gets and will never back down, no matter the odds. Gotta love the kid from Forest Hills. Gotta love the S and S and S connection, putting together another classic. That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode. But there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, patrons get a bonus show every week where I run through comics from all over the multiverse of comics, past and present, from Marvel to DC to all points in between. This week, we're running through Wonder Woman Volume 3, Number 3, Part 3 of Who is Wonder Woman? And that's a good question. The easy answer is iconic. But where's the fun in such a simple answer? If we've got comics, we've got history, and I'll be your guide through it all. Join me. Head over to patreon.com hspp and sign up to the Key Keeper or High Council tiers now to learn what happens when the world's greatest warrior loses confidence in who she is. If you sign up to become a patron before the season finale of me and my friend Pete's season one, you will receive a high society pin for your lapel. Fashion is important to us here on me and my friend Pete, so when you step out, do it with a little reppin'. Why not? Join us. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, a special thanks to the home team. That's the right minders, the big three, the key keepers, and the high council. Parker's 11. This podcast is completely listener supported and your support keeps this crazy train on the tracks. I'm truly grateful you keep coming back and more grateful you allow me to be the conductor. You got questions? Send them to me and myfriendpete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Please like, please comment, please share, please take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, You know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.